We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to The Truth Perspective on the Soft Radio Network, the world for people who think. We have problems at some of these freeway on-ramps on where they're holding up the signs, where we have fights because it's a lucrative position and location, and the transients will fight between each other to keep that, that turf right there because that's where they make good money. And that's where society comes in because they're they're handing out free money. There's people who make a couple hundred. I asked one guy, he said, how much money do you make here? And he goes, oh, I make a hundred bucks, hundred fifty bucks just standing here. That's more than some people flipping burgers at uh, at a hamburger place make. So, you know, how do you how do you stop that? How do you change that culture where you go, hey, I can go hold a sign, stand here, do nothing, make $150 today, or I can go flip burgers for 9.95 or whatever it is. So. A lot of people think that we're out here making hundreds of dollars. That's yeah. not the case. If I make $20 from 10 o'clock in the morning till 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I'm happy with that. And a lot of times I might make six bucks. And there's a whole bunch of us out here doing it. As you can see, there's another guy yeah. right there. Yeah. Do, do people like swap corners every We take half hour turn. If you walk up on the corner and somebody's there and you want to work that corner, we all know each other. You go to them and say, hey, I'll, I'll be back in a half an hour. Then you go sit somewhere and wait, then you come back in a half an hour. But if nobody calls it on you, then you can stand there all day if nobody shows up. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. This is The Truth Perspective. It's February 21st, 2015. Today, we're going to be talking about homelessness. And in the virtual studio today, we've got some side editors, Dave Burt. Howdy, everyone. Meg McDonald. Hello. And special guest today, we have Corey Schink. Corey, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us what you do? Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me here. Uh, uh, yep. Yeah, my name is Corey Schink, and for the past 10 years or so, on and off at least, I've been working with uh, with homeless people. And I think that probably the best way to get this show started off is to just start dispelling one of the biggest myths about the homeless and the stereotypes that we're all primed with that we kind of bring to the table when we talk about it. And that is that there's just this big blob of people out there that are called homeless and that they have their own, you know, that there's just a, there's a problem uh, that really can't be defined or solved. And it's just, uh, impossible to work with. They just kind of spring up out of nowhere. I mean, like where do these people come from? Right? Yeah, 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 exactly. And uh, so for the past 10 years, I guess I've developed quite a, uh, an affection for the people that I've worked with. Uh, right now, I'm a, I'm a director of a homeless shelter, and I've worked with victims of domestic violence, and I've worked with uh, suicidal teenagers who uh, experienced homelessness in their young adult lives. And I've worked with people who have been ejected, expelled essentially from the economy, and who have no place to live, and thus have become homeless. And so the biggest thing that I think that I uh, would like to start off with the show by saying is that homelessness is an experience that diverse groups of people will go through, and probably in the near future, more and more people will be going through it. And so it's important to discuss it, and it's also a 
underlying. It's really a sign of the times in America. Do we have any statistics on homelessness in the U.S.? Like how many? Uh, well, there's two sources that I checked, and one says 700,000, and the other says 800,000. Um, National Homeless says that 23% of those are veterans, which is probably every one in five. Um, as far as children, um, in 2006, there was 1.5 million, which would be one in 50. And now uh, the report that was issued in 2013, it's one in 30, 2.5 million children. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of people, a lot of children. So what do you? What do these people do? Like, how do they get there? Um, there's a a mortgage. They lose their home. They can't afford their mortgage, and they get booted out. Um, I, I think it's diverse. I think it's the cost of housing. Um, on average, nationally, a two-bedroom apartment is a thousand dollars, and minimum wage will not allow you to afford that unless you're spending, you know. For thirty to forty percent of your income on rent, or we're just working one hundred and eighty hours a week, is right. possible? <laughs> if you want to die, you can work. You can work that many hours a week. Um, but mostly, it is the cost of housing, um, and it's this housing bubble and the prices go up. Um, people can't afford them, and then they lose their job. Most people live paycheck to paycheck. If you lose your job, you have a month's income, two months' income to survive until you get another job, and take your home away. Uh, maybe I could share uh, some of my experience being yeah. a former uh, homeless person. <laughs> uh, it's probably not an unusual story. Um, you know, I got laid off from my job, you know, working paycheck to paycheck. Uh, of course, now I can't pay for my rent, so I'm out of a home, living in my van. My van breaks down, right? So now I have nowhere to stay, and I'm forced to be on the streets. No money, you know. Uh, if anyone's ever been in that position, uh, it's very rough. You know, you're sleeping in alleys, you're trying to find places in parks, uh, you have no money, you're trying to find food. It, it really puts you in a, a, a fight or flight type of mode, survival mode. But that, and that's just that's just one example. Um, like, because there are very there are other reasons why people go homeless and become homeless. And in your case, you lost pretty much everything you had in that moment, like your job, your car, your house. So you had absolutely nowhere to go. There are people still with jobs that are homeless. People that, you know, make money, they make a living. They're not just freeloading and uh, avoiding any responsibility. They're actually working jobs, but they can't afford homes. They sleep in their cars. And then, you know, the cities all over the country are banning that. So you're not allowed to sleep in your car. So you have nowhere to drive around all night and take a nap. I mean, how do you? Well, and then there, you can't function at work. No. Oh, that's that's probably a, a big thing that we should we should touch on is the, the kind of work that gets done in a home. Uh, the home is like the Swiss Army knife, the ultimate Swiss Army knife. The, you know, it's just this big box that we all live in, but inside that box, we have the accumulation of so many different technologies and we have, you know, our dishwashers and our stuff, you know, the our, big thing is our stuff that we can keep in our home. And so there's a lot of questions that, you know, that I think that are answered that we take for granted uh, in our daily life is, the, you know, like, where am I going to eat? You know, how am I going to cook my food? And that's answered in my kitchen. Or where am I going to keep my belongings? Where am I going to sleep? 
take a uh, shower? Where am I going to exactly? Where am I going to take a shower? Where am I going to keep my family? Where will I know my kids are going to be safe? And the, the list could really go on and on. You use your imagination. You can see all the different problems that arise when you're homeless that are uh, that contribute to, drastically just to the issue that caused homelessness itself. I think I'm going to I'm going to play one clip right now. This is a story. Um, of a, a young woman, a young homeless woman, and we'll just play that and you can see just another example of what might happen. This is Crystal. I met Crystal when she was flying this sign. She had just arrived not a week before in Seattle. She was fleeing an abusive boyfriend relationship from back east. And when I met her, she was so very hopeful to get off the streets and into housing. But as time went by and months passed, it was clear that she was spiraling downward. One evening, she called me at home and she said, Rex, would you like to see where I'm living? And a half an hour later, I was walking up this dirt path between alder trees and blackberry bushes to come to where the 520 freeway touches the ground. And it was just getting dark as we both bent down to walk into the blackness underneath this freeway and a rush of fear overtook me. When we got back to where her tent is, I said, Crystal, I have to go. And we made our way back down the path to the street where she had stashed her bicycle. And I told her, that scared the crap out of me. I have a stream of sweat running down my back. I don't know how you do this, how you as a 23-year-old young woman sleep under that bridge up there in the darkness every night alone. And then she looked away for a few moments. And when she looked back at me, I could see in the streetlight that her eyes were welling up with tears. And she said, the physical and sexual abuse that I suffered at home while I was growing up was so horrible that nothing that could happen to me under that bridge could be worse. This is what I would like for all of us to know. No one chooses to be homeless. No one. Every single person that is outside has a profound reason for being there. Yes, I'd, I could definitely, I definitely agree with that. I mean, I think that uh, much of the audience can probably imagine that. I mean, there's very little in our lives that we actively choose. A lot of things, most things, just happen to us. And uh, for uh, that woman there, uh, we know her situation is not uncommon. And in fact, 63%, last statistic I read was that uh, it's estimated 63% of women who are homeless are the victims of or have been survivors of domestic violence. And essentially, they're fleeing something that they can never escape. And unfortunately, uh, as a society, we can solve so many uh, critical problems except for the the problems that this our society creates. And the, this is this is one of them: uh, domestic abuse, domestic violence uh, in childhood, and obviously it led to her uh, to repeating that trauma, that bond of betrayal uh, in a relationship. And then, hopeless, she found herself under a bridge. And I'd also like to point out that if it weren't for this man's outreach, her story probably would never have been heard. 
and none of us would even be aware that that was an issue. So just as important as it is to be aware of of these issues, it is to it is important as well. And I I I I, I honestly I wouldn't even have a job if it weren't for the volunteers in the town that I live. The people who volunteer to go out there and to just make contact with the people who are living under bridges or living in the woods, living in their cars. And that uh, experience changes everyone involved in a drastic way. What's the public perception? Because um, you mentioned the volunteers. So there's obviously a segment of the, of the population that sees that there's a problem and wants to do something about it to help to take an active role in uh, in, in activities like supporting homeless shelters, and but there, there are also there's you know there's the other view, or many other views on mm-hmm. on the homeless, and I mean we can see that in legislation, new rules and regulations. And uh, Meg, do you have some? Yeah, I do. I have some interesting that. stories that I that I pulled from from. But, um, What's interesting to me is that the big picture—it's just like they're criminalizing kindness. It's—it's—they um, don't. It's like it's natural for most people when they see someone else suffering to want to help, and that, that's what they're criminalizing to me. But let me tell you about ridiculous number one. Um, uh, in Marseille, France, um, they tried to make homeless people wear yellow triangle ID cards, which would identify suspected illnesses in them—not diagnosed illnesses, suspected illnesses in them. Um, there was one in Seattle, Washington. There was a 90-year-old charity that's been feeding the homeless for 70 years. Now they have to get the city's approval to do what they've been doing for 70 years. Um, there's been 10 cities that have been bulldozed in California and New Jersey. Um, the, the huge one was called The Jungle. It was in San Jose, California, one of 247, and they just bulldozed it. And all the people filled the streets of San Jose, California. Close to 8,000 people are homeless in that city. And they just filled the streets of the area. Um, this destroyed their homes, their personal belongings, like Corey said. Where do you keep your stuff if you don't have a home? I mean, you've got a book you want to keep. I mean, you've got, you know, toiletries and items. You can't keep them anywhere. Um, here's another ridiculous one, but New York City. No surprise there, huh? You, they're banning food donations because the city cannot assess salt, fat, or fiber content. Um they have a fifty thousand fifty three thousand plus um and one estimate seventy thousand in new york city um here's another one Dave's a proud state of Hawaii um and this is a state representative who did this he took a sledgehammer to um homeless people's shopping carts to express his disgust and disdain for the homeless population in hawaii um i couldn't i couldn't find any laws allowing him to do that, <laughs> but apparently um he felt he could uh do that. And there's one last one I want to read. Um, it wasn't enacted. It was rescinded by the city council, but um, they came up with something called the Emergency Homeless Response Plan, uh, which basically set up a hotline where you're supposed to call them and report their presence, and they were going to be relocated or arrested. There wasn't, it wasn't going to put them in a shelter. It wasn't going to help them at all. Uh, it was just like an emergency hotline to get rid of them. They don't want them in their city. I mean, it just... Oh, it's bad for tourism in Hawaii. They don't want it to be seen. So whenever the homeless get together, whether it's the park, you know, the officials come in and push them out, just hoping they go away. Ridiculous. And I'd, I'd just like to, I think this follows right along in the line of what you're saying about the 
the pretty much the abdication of responsibility on the part of elected officials to those uh, to the to those that they serve, quote unquote. Um, so this is from the book uh, Expulsions: A Brutality and Complexity in the Global Economy uh, by a sociologist named uh, Saskia Sassen. I believe that's how you pronounce it. But she writes: Inequality, if it keeps growing, can at some point be more accurately described as a type of expulsion. For those at the bottom or in the poor middle, this means expulsion from a life space. Among those at the top, this appears to have meant exiting from the responsibilities of membership in society via self-removal, extreme concentration of the wealth available in the society, and no inclination to redistribute that wealth. And I think that ultimately, when you look at the problem of homelessness, you know, I've so many times I've, I've heard people say, um, and this is one of the tough lessons for people to learn, uh, when we're, you know, when we're working with the homeless, we have so many judgments we go in with, so many biases and stereotypes. And uh, often, you know, you hear that, that you've got the stereotype of the hobo or the, you know, the wino, the, the drunk, the alcoholic. And, and, I, and you know, that's why they're drunk, they're, that's why they're homeless, is that alcoholism automatically causes homelessness. But I, I was thinking about that, and I thought if that's true, then Congress would probably be homeless. <laughs> right. <laughs> but then, then, then maybe we would get a solution to the problem. <laughs> but, no, I mean, what really, like you were talking about, Meg, what causes it is that inequality, and that's a, a sign of just the absolute uh, just loss of responsibility. Mm-hmm. I um I couldn't find the video, but I had watched one. I couldn't find it for the show, and there was a guy who was curious about that stereotype, and so he decided he was going to go out with a Subway gift card and a pack of cigarettes and a bottle of whiskey, a little flask of whiskey, and asked them to choose, you know, which one they wanted. And everyone he interviewed took the food, mm-hmm. every single one of them. I mean, pack of cigarettes and booze or food, and they chose food. I mean, I, I thought it was a really interesting video. If I can find it again, maybe we can post it on the mm-hmm. on the page but well i think that's just one of well of course um like when we're, when you're dealing with any human population you're going to have a type of bell curve right so you're going to have you're going to have the whole spectrum of humanity in any segment of humanity and so i'm sure you know there are some people that will conform to a stereotype of the hobo or the wino but to you to use that as a a generalization for everyone that's homeless. To me, it just it strikes me as just an excuse that people tell themselves so that they don't have to look at the problem and don't have to take any responsibility for the problem. Because when you live in a group of any size, from a family to a community to a town to a city to a country, you kind of become responsible for all the people living in that group and responsible for the for for everyone's well-being and for the the well-being of that of that whole community, and so when there are when there is a large percentage, a large portion of that community that is just struggling, that doesn't have access to food and shelter, that's that's a damning point mm-hmm. against what's going on. And to to see that for yourself, it's a lo- it's so much easier just to keep your life the way it is. And to come up with an excuse for why why those people deserve it. Well, that's it. It's a reason to justify it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, and and if you've ever been in that position, you meet all different types of people that got there. You know, there's domestic abuse. You know, just down on your luck. Like it's not a one shoe fits all. Mm-hmm. Mental illness. Mental illness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a study in Toronto just uh, 
this was a few years back, uh, point out that half of the population of the homeless in that city had a traumatic brain injury. And, I mean, when you think about the, the, the choice of being homeless, I mean, if you've, got, if you've got traumatic brain injury and you're not able to 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 jump through the the hoop, the welfare agencies, that's a whole other aspect entirely in itself. But I mean, it's and as I've been told, it's it's very expensive uh, to be homeless. It's expensive to to try and um, especially if you're you know you're living in your car and you're driving around and you're you're constantly using gas or you're constantly trying to buy you know processed food because you can't cook it on your own and you're getting fined or ticketed and it's it's not it's not cheap and especially if you're one of those who's just recently expelled you know you you just fired from your job and you you have your belongings you hope to get into a home again then you've got to find some place you got to rent a, a storage shed you've got to pay money you got to find some you got to use money to and it's money that people don't have and so most people just you know you lose everything there they are well, if you think about it, getting on your feet, I mean, like when you first move out of your house and you're 18, you know, you get your apartment in your car and you, I mean, when you're, if you go from being homeless to trying to get back on your feet, you have to come up with first and last month's rent. You have to come up with a security deposit. You have to come up with a deposit for your electric, for your phone, computer. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have this huge expense just to get yourself out of a shelter into a home and get started. And then you have to have a job that supports that that lifestyle. I mean, you have to be able to pay the rent. You have to be able to pay the bill. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at minimum wage or these these low-paying service jobs that everyone gets to have in this <laughs> country um, doesn't cover it. Not even close. And getting a job is a problem. You don't have a home. You have no address to put on your application. Often don't have access to a shower. Yeah. Can't, sh- you know, wash your clothes. So what are you going to do? Yeah. Who's going to hire you? You put your license plate on there. Yeah. This is my address, license plate. <laughs> Corner of 23rd and... Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, yeah, it's 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 extremely tough, the, the job aspect, the job angle, especially for people who are mentally ill. Or, and, I mean, you try staying out in the woods or wherever for three weeks and see if you don't become a little bit mentally ill... Uh, mm-hmm. bitter, resentful, and especially, you know, for the people whose family has turned their backs on them. And, you know, it's a, we're human, we're fragile, and we, we make mistakes. Uh, and I, I know that several of the people I've worked with, it's a, it's been a matter of the community opening up to them that has been, uh, that has been what changed uh, their lives, that gave them, you know, even an ounce of the desire to enter back into the community um and i'm speaking of the chronically homeless because there uh there's a difference between the the homeless who are it's just just a crisis that plunges them uh, into the uh the abyss so to speak and then there's the chronically homeless who like they do have the traumatic brain injury or they um they just you know it's been a matter of three or more years uh, they've been living on their own, and uh, for those people who you know they they complain to me like why why can't this guy take care of himself? Uh, why can't he? Why won't he learn just to take care of himself? Um, and you know it's a, it's really easy for me to point out that well this man has been living in the woods for 15 years. I think he's he's managed to take care of himself the way that he's chosen to. Um, so yeah, that's a it's a big. Uh, 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 finding the the right way to to tackle the problem is so it, you have to have a change in attitude, and you're not going to get that from the culture that we're living in right now. Mm-hmm. Like they, they just legislating away homelessness is the way that it looks like the most people are going. 
They want them to disappear. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There was that story recently from a few months ago about the the old man, the volunteer that was feeding homeless people. Was it in New York? It was in Florida. It was in uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. His name was Arnold Abbott. And um, he was arrested. He and his other friends of his were arrested. And um, the judge ended up booting out the, the case. But what was interesting is I printed off a section of the article was that he was stunned because they came up to him and asked him to drop the plate like he had a gun in his hand. Um, just treated him like a, a second-class citizen. And he apparently he's, his organization feeds a lot of people, 120 to 160 people a day mm. in Fort Lauderdale. And he was arrested. I mean, the judge suspended the ban on the feeding the homeless, and so it turned out it was a happy ending. But um, it... To me, it's just like getting more violent. I mean, for mm-hmm. them to approach him that way as opposed to, yeah. just, you know, well, coming, it, mm-hmm. yeah, scaring him. Well, 90 years old. Well, it's crazy. Not only are they criminalizing being homeless, they're criminalizing helping homeless. <laughs> I mean, what kind of society is that? I mean, seriously. Yeah. Well, as a contrast, there's a, an article that's up on SOT from February 6th on a town in southern Spain. Uh, I'll, I'll, pronounce, I'll mispronounce it, I'm sure, but Marinaleda. And in this town, um, there is everyone is employed. Everyone gets to eat. Um, what happened was they kind of adopted this democratic, anti-capitalist approach to to the town, to the city. So um, I'll just read a little bit here. So since the financial crisis began in 2008, Marinaleda has shot to fame. And so has its maverick mayor, Juan Manuel Sanchez Gordito, who earned the nickname the Spanish Robin Hood after organizing and carrying out a series of supermarket raids in a direct action protest last August. Basic groceries such as oil, rice, and beans were loaded into carts, wheeled from the store, and taken to a local food bank to help the poor as helpless cashiers looked on, some crying. So in an interview, he said that it wasn't theft. It was a nonviolent act of disobedience. So he said... There are many families who can't afford to eat. In the 21st century, this is an absolute disgrace. Food is a right, not something with which you speculate. So in the, in the province in which this town is, there are something like 700,000 empty properties due to bank disclosures, but not in Marinaleda, because Gordila, Gordila has found a solution. Anyone who wants to build their own house can do so for free. Materials and qualified workmen are provided by the town hall and generous allowances of 192 square meters means that the homes are spacious. Families pay 15 euros per month for the rest of their lives with the agreement that the house cannot be sold for private gain. In this place, unemployment stands at 35 or 37%, but um, and that's in Andalusia, sorry, in the, in the general region. But in this town, population 2,700, so it's a small town, there's virtually... No unemployment um, because of the town's farming cooperative. So laborers earn the equal of 1,200 euros per month. And this is in a region where where one in three people are unemployed. That's beautiful. Yeah, Gordillo said that we need to rethink our values, the consumer society, the value we place on money, selfishness, and individualism. So that was a nice story to read. That is nice. Uh, there's an interesting story in Utah. Um, apparently, Utah will give away a home to reduce homelessness. They've reduced it by 78% since they started their program. Um, 
So basically you get into the program and you're given an apartment and a caseworker and you're given a certain certain things to do. And if you fail at that, you still get to keep the apartment. Mm-hmm. So even if you're mentally ill, you have brain damage, you need, you know, uh, someone to care for you, you're not going to lose your home because you can't complete a program to get back on your feet and get a job and become a functioning member of society, which I thought was great. There's not many more examples in the U.S. than that. <laughs> um, I looked. Yeah, and uh, I was looking into that too, and I noticed that it um, it seemed to st- uh, stem from the the religion, the religious uh, parties there. Uh, religion played a big role, and and I think that that's uh, I, I mean that's where you know the values really shine through. Where you know in religious communities, it's a, it's a lot safer to be in a in a you know homeless in a religious community because that's a high value on on helping the the poor and the weak in those communities compared to. In the others, where of course you've got the, you know, saying that it's illegal to to give some bread to a homeless man, because you don't know the fat and salt content. Right, that's dangerous. Imagine. Yeah. <laughs> well, Corey, can you tell us a bit about about where you work? Because earlier you were talking about the the religious, um, well, the, the impact of religion on it, because a lot of the people that uh, that you that volunteer and do work. Um, are like regularly attend the local church, right? So you can, can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, yeah, it's a it's a fascinating uh, system that they have, and you know I don't know the the full uh, history of it, but I know that the the area itself is uh, uh, is relatively rural and has uh, has experienced uh, poverty for you know um, for centuries. And, and together, I mean, there's a strong uh, desire for self-reliance and there's a strong uh, desire to, to essentially, um, you know, you, it's not uncommon to see a, bo- a billboard that says, uh, uh, don't go to church, be the church. And there's, that's a, uh, that's a driving ethic um, in the, in the churches that I go to. Um, and they, uh, and the, the church actually ended up opening its doors to the homeless after a few passed away in the, in the, winter of 2010 and that was just uh you know they they had tried they had gone out they had tried to uh, they had fed uh, the people they had uh they had went and searched out the camps they had talked to them they had introduced uh themselves and they and i think that uh when those uh, men died there was an outrage and i think there was a tremendous attack of conscience on the on the town and they decided that there was they were going to do something about it and so some of the the most active volunteers decided they were going to uh, put together a plan to get a shelter together and they uh, they asked one of the churches uh in the community and you know they they decided they would take a risk and it was quite a big risk i mean it's a it's a conservative community it's um it's very conservative uh, in terms of its values but not in a neoconservative way and so they uh they by opening up their doors you know they were there was some there was a little bit of fighting about how um they were going to go about getting this uh taken care of and uh in the end Seventy different t- uh, churches got together. Seventy different churches uh, be, uh, contributed to this network, and what that looks like now is that um, upwards of about 300 volunteers feed the and shelter and clothe and find jobs for and find houses for the homeless that are in uh, in this area. 
and it's a it's very uh, close knit community. You know the the people who are homeless out there you know, out in the mountains. They they also uh, they have gone to school with these people. You know when they come in and they'll say, Ah, that was my kindergarten teacher, or you know that I I remember I had art class with her. And you know there's a very uh, close bond that the community has, and they don't we don't. And you don't get an impression that there is a you know a separation. It's just uh, the community sees it as a duty, as a Christian obligation, to see them everyone as part of this whole, and to reach out to them, and 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 empower them essentially. Let's. What strikes me like with the story I just read and and what you're saying now is that the the ad, the difference in attitudes that we saw like with that clip that we played at the beginning where we had the police officer saying that well you know these guys are making 100 150 dollars a day you know we're just getting free money for doing nothing and then right after that we had an actual homeless guy saying what it's really like there seems to be a uh, a split in well this worldview part of it i think has to do with this sense of community because as Western society is structured. It's this capitalist, hierarchical, dog-eat-dog world where you just, you've got to get to the top, and in order to do so, you've got to trample on whoever's underneath you. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, who cares about them once, you, once you've once you got your your house and your, your fancy car and your, you know, what is it, 1.3 children or whatever, then, then you've, you know, you've got it made, so who really cares about everyone underneath you? But on the other hand, when you have this more this community-based worldview, where you actually see the people around you as important and and have some responsibility for their well-being, there's just a total contrast between those two worldviews. Yeah, they're th- a reflection of you. I mean, even though they're not you, you know, yeah. they're they're a reflection. I forget the quote, but maybe it was Kennedy, but he said that you can judge a society by how it treats the most vulnerable people. And that requires compassion, requires mm-hmm. empathy, and that's not something our society supports or rewards or even encourages. No, I think, and then uh, you know, when you you sit in church on Sunday morning, um, you know, you you uh, you hear the theme of you know God loves you know His children, and you're not going to. Uh, and when you look at the homeless, I mean, and you have that kind of a uh, an understanding. I mean, because. You know, you can look at society from the economic viewpoint and you can say, sure, absolutely, you know, profit is awesome. You know, everyone likes to have a lot of money. And then you can just ignore every single other aspect of human, of mankind and just ignore the people who fall apart. But when you have a, a community that has a um, that desire for, you know, religious you know, uh, virtues, then, you know, that's, that is painful to do for a lot of And I mean, so it's very much when you see something that's wrong, I mean, and you have... And there's also, I have to point out, very um, outspoken and dedicated leaders in the community who have pulled that together and who have been the ones who harp on the the fact that there's homeless in the valley who need to be taken care of. And uh, one of the pastors dressed up as a homeless man, and he he uh, went to church one day to see how he was treated. And uh, he was, I think he was, he went to another church. I think they they had this kind of game plan between them, and then they reported on it, you know. And so they are very. Uh, it's it's a whole you know it's a whole uh, system that is that that works better because of this uh, um, this sense of community and shame. I think shame is the biggest piece. Oh yeah. 
Talk about shame a bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's gory. All right, let's get into the the shame, the nitty gritty of shame. Well, okay, so you imagine, um, I know, uh, and this, you know, I know one experience in particular of a of a young woman who her mother was her mother was homeless, and she hated her mother because of that. Um, she always and she always felt ashamed and she felt disgusted about you know the condition of her of her mother and uh, and then she uh she came and she saw how the people were you know she volunteered and she saw how the people were treating you know how you would just sit down and speak to a person you know and you know you just you erase the homeless part for a while and you just talk to this incredibly amazing individual who's suffered and has had small triumphs and jumped out of a plane once and you know and you send you listen to it and you just you appreciate who they are and she just wept afterwards she it was she you could tell that that deep down she was touched by that shame of how she had seen them and how she'd seen her mother and she had a very powerful uh catharsis i suppose about um those emotions that she'd been holding back and on another level there's the societal shame of this is our society we say we live up to these values and we say that you know America is great, we're the land of the free, and there are dead men there are dead men under the bridge because they froze to death. Mm-hmm. I think that the American exceptionalism is what drives people to make the homeless one disappear. That's one of the things that I couldn't wrap my head around is that we have a lot of problems in the world. I mean, you've got wars and things, I mean, all sorts of things, but it's like homelessness you got to shove it under the rug. I mean, I don't know, you know, they just want them to disappear like they aren't humans. They don't need to be recognized. And I, I can't, I don't recognize them doing that to a lot of people. I mean, veterans, I think, but it was just baffling to me that we couldn't accept that, it, that it's a problem and do something about it. And we do it with the mentally ill people. We recognize it's a problem. There's medication being taken, counseling. Um, it just, it seems like they're just being hidden and pushed away and ignored intentionally. Like mm-hmm. it interferes with our view of ourselves so much mm-hmm. as a nation, we can't acknowledge these people exist. You know, I don't. Mm-hmm. Well, in in ponderology. Andrew Lobachevsky, he gives an, an example in one of the first chapters where he's talking about the cycles of history. And he talks about the historoidal cycle where and the, the the cycling back and forth between good times and bad times. And one of the things he mentions about good times is that people develop this almost pathological blindness to people like that, mm-hmm. to the to the to the problems in their society that allow for those things that they call good. So for the affluence and for just the, the tremendous disparity in wealth, that could not exist without a tremendous amount of poverty. And so it's it's a it's a psychological defense mechanism on us on an unconscious level that you just don't want to look at it. You can't look at it because that reminds you of what your perfect little life is based on, which is misery and suffering in others. Right at the expense. At the expense of others. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, what are you going to do in that situation where you've got people who psychologically just cannot even look at it for for very basic human reasons that that are just um, you know common to all humanity? It's it's this kind of never-ending cycle, and that well, and that's why Lobachevsky talks about it in terms of cycles because something like that can't last for long. Eventually, the system tumbles down, and you know, there's a reset, and it starts again, but to get to that point, you know, things have to get a lot worse. And that's scary. That's scary. 
I mean, 70 to 90,000 people are homeless in New York City, in New York. That's a lot of people. I mean, that's that's a small army, you know? Mm-hmm. That's like 100 times the size of the town I was raised in. Yeah. And that's uh, and that's another thing too is is you know like we we talked about you know different solutions for for homelessness and I liked the the Spanish solution the best mm-hmm. Utah has a good one give them homes yeah that's you know it's not homelessness isn't uh, just this weird disease that has this obscure you know you just give them a home and that's yeah, that pretty much takes care of that it's pretty much in the name homeless yeah well what's the yeah, solution <laughs> it's like bonelessness or something <laughs> give a man a bone. <laughs> Yeah, there's an interesting story um, on RT. Um, there's a guy named Greg Cloen. He is in San Jose, California, and he has been taking garbage. It costs him about 30 or $40, but he builds little homes on wheels for homeless. I mean, really cute stuff. I mean, it takes him three or four days to build it, but he presented a solution. I mean, it, whatever he finds in the streets, he uses to build a home. Hmm. And um, to me, that's he, at some level, he's recognized the need to help people in this community. Um, and I haven't read he's been arrested yet, so maybe it'll continue in San Jose, California. Well, now that you've mentioned him on the radio, I'm sure they're looking for him. Uh-oh. <laughs> Sorry, Greg. Sorry. Sorry about that, Greg. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and this is funny. This is really cute. But he, he named the homes R2-D2, the settler, the Romanian farm, the Unibomber shack, the tank, the chuck wagon. So, I mean, he's bringing something to it. <laughs> Fun and creative, you know, mm-hmm. and you, you saw one of these homes I was driving by, I'd have to stop and look. I mean, at least he's, he's doing something where you might, you know, gaze for more than 30 seconds at someone else's troubles. Anyway. Yeah, I don't think it would take much of a stretch to solve the homeless problem. You know, there's all these creative solutions out there, but for some reason, you know, it's not widespread. It's like this whole effort to stifle it all. We were talking earlier, and one of the things that we mentioned when we were discussing this is that really there is an overabundance of material that could be used for homes for the homeless. I mean, everyone that's homeless could have a home if you think about it and you just take some very simple steps to get there. I mean, first of all, if you think in reference to this, the article in the Spanish town mentioning the, the, the number of houses that are empty just because of foreclosures. If you think about the the number of empty houses there are in the states, failed businesses, empty buildings, mm-hmm. empty hotels, storage mean, containers. Absolutely. I mean, you can turn a storage container into a nice home. There's but, a YouTube video yeah. on it. Yeah, several. <laughs> so you know, yeah, and the the saddest uh, piece it seems like is that when you read the news and you see what's going on, you know, across the world, you know, you see what happens within, you know, the societies that. Or you know that we attack, you see what happens within our society um if it decays, and you know you just can't you can't divorce the the problem of homelessness from you know the all the other different uh problems that are going on and you know it really it truly is another one of the signs of the times that uh of the times that we're living in because you know we have the you know we have the economic crash we have the military industrial uh, complex. We have the erosion of social bonds and the erosion of community. We have the dumbing down of America. We have the essentially, you know, I mean, just in most places, religion and religious values are basically not, they're non-existent. They're, they're kind of archaic and, you know, and so a lot of the times they are very, you know, primitive and kind of rather scary. 
And we have just rampant scapegoating of anyone who seems to cause us any kind of, you know, any kind of threat. And we're hypersensitive and we're paranoid and and the country seems more and more hysterical. I mean, to the kind of legislation that's been issued to tackle the problem of homelessness that, you know, imagine, you know, the amount of money that has to go into the enforcement of those kinds of things. And, and it's cheaper just to house them. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's what Utah found out. They found out they spent 16000 a year on, you know, ER visits and having them stay in jails and police, and it was 11000 to give them a home. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that should appeal to the dollar sign politicians out there. I mean, that's $5,000 you get to spend on yourself. <laughs> like And like you were mentioning, Corey, it's not just, like homelessness is just one problem that is a symptom of so many greater problems. And I think we see the same kind of collective blindness when it comes to homelessness in, for example, the victims of all the imperialist wars that the United States has been engaged in for, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's like almost its entire existence. But, yeah, yeah. And if you just look at the past 20 years, though, the number of people murdered, innocent civilians, you know, children, men and women who have just been killed. And where is the acknowledgement of that? Where, you know, we don't see them on the news. We don't see their pictures. We don't know their names. So it's it's just a thoroughly depressing outlook to see that there are, there is so much suffering country and around the world caused by this country, and people just don't want to look at it. Yeah, they just don't give a shit. No. Okay, so. Yeah, that's well, it looks like we've got a caller oh, on the goody. line. So this is Kent from West from West Virginia. Hi, Kent. How are you doing? Hi, Kent. Pretty good. Hello. Yeah, I just saw something just actually today, and uh, there's a guy named – maybe you've heard of it. Maybe you guy know this guy or not. His name was Greg uh, Clone, I guess his name is. K, Greg is G-R-E-G, last name K-L-O-E-H-N. And uh, – Obviously, it's not the uh, kind of um, humbling housing that you're thinking about. But he put his name in the Internet. What he's doing is he's um, giving up scraps of material, you know, and uh, here, there, and everywhere. And uh, he invests about $40. He puts he, – and he builds these little um, – for lack of a better word, well, you've probably seen where in Japan – where the, the day laborers literally have like little like tubes that you know they they're they just rent a little tube or something what they live in you know and uh, mm-hmm. well these are just like little tubes that he's constructed and he's decorated in a very sort of a he's an artist so he's been very creative in the decoration of it and he he puts up scraps of wood scraps of this scraps of that and, and constructs this little shelter and, and he's costing about forty dollars. He buys casters so that they can, you know, people can roll it around, and I guess he puts a, a knob on it and then uh, uses nails and paint and everything. So, so I don't know. It's, it's obviously not what uh, uh, not going to solve the housing problem, but it's an interesting, interesting little idea, you know. Of course, of course, no, the, yeah, the government will come and destroy those. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see what ends up happening in that in that direction. Um, I mean, I hope I hope it doesn't go that far. I hope more people end up doing something like that. 
like Craig is doing. Yeah, I think that what that does is that inspires the creativity that's out there. And people see just, oh, you know, this what's going on, that somebody cares, then other people start following suit. Yeah, monkey yeah. see, monkey do. Like you said earlier about just acknowledging and sitting there and talking to them, acknowledging they exist and they have trouble is a step away from the ignoring the problem. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I agree. Good for Greg. All right, was that it, Kent? Yeah, I just want to tell you about that. All, All right, right well, thanks, thanks for calling in. Thanks. Thank hey, you. Take care. Okay. So, yeah. Um, well, we were. I was just mentioning the wars and the victims of war. Mm-hmm. And the, the 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 almost willful ignorance of of that because we can't uh, the United States can't exist as a an empire without mm-hmm. consequences of that sort. We want to move in a, another direction now. Did you have any other notes that you, that you no, had? In there? Well, no, nothing, nothing that we haven't already talked about. I it just it's um, what do you do? I mean, mm-hmm. other than Mm-hmm. Well, Corey, in your experience, what can you do? Like, what do people do in your community, and what can people who haven't been involved in this sort of thing, you know, t- start taking up? <clears throat> well, I think that's a, you know, I, you have to uh, remember that that homelessness has so many different factors that contribute to it, and a lot of those rely on the, you know, the the ignorance, I guess, of us, you know, is, you know, the, you just don't know what's going on in the, in the house next door. And, and I think that, you know, just to remember that there's so many little things that we can do that are, um, that might make us a little, you know, that might be uncomfortable at first, you know, like volunteering is one thing that I never thought I would ever volunteer. I never thought I'd ever volunteer to do anything really. You know, I was, I was a typical guy, you know, but once I, once I started volunteering at a, at a homeless shelter, you know, and, and I, you know, then I started volunteering for a domestic violence shelter and then I, and then, you know, pretty soon it became like a, you know, once you, once you really start to see the, the difference that just um, listening to someone and, and acknowledging, you know, who someone is and just kind of giving them a nudge in the, you know, in the direction that you're like, oh, you know, this person has like these interests and these sparks, this is what gets them in, uh, going, you know, and you uh, just in- encouraging people is is the biggest thing that we can do. And and in order to do that, you know, we have to go to the places where, you know, we might find them, you, you know, you, you can do the whole, um, the big brother thing is a, a big brother, big sister, or whatever those are, is that system, that's a, you know, that's really good to mentor you know, to mentor someone, even if it's just once a month, to give somebody, you know, who, a young kid who is, you know, if you think back, you know, on in your childhood and you think about that one person who cared and how that was like the light and the and the darkness, you know, that you could be that person for somebody. Uh, then there's, you know, you could be that person for just about anybody that's out there just stuck, you know, and and that's a lot of, uh, and you, when you think about this, this um, huge amount of potential that exists with so many people living on the earth and how it's all just being squandered, you know, just to reconnect one person with their potential. Um, you know, that's just a, that's a huge, or just to, even to help in that direction. That's, that's huge. Um, and, you know, uh, I think that for a lot of people, they do, they get into, into that, you know, trying to, you know, quote unquote, help people. Um, and, you know, are a little bit disillusioned when things don't go the way that they, they thought they should. Ah, oh, this guy had to, should get a job or, you know, this. but, um, 
you know, it's just it's all about being uh, having those those boundaries set up and and making sure that you are very clear uh, with the people what that you know relationship is and that you know you're just there for you know this X Y and Z and then and then being firm and and making it possible for them to you know form a healthy relationship with someone um you know in in terms of you know an adult uh uh you know an adult and children and there's it's all sorts of different um dynamics that go into play there but you can really help somebody out just by just by going down and mentoring or by helping at a food kitchen and and really getting in there and discarding whatever prejudices you have and getting to know somebody that's the big thing all right we've got one more clip that we're going to play for you guys See, they got a lot of housing for homeless people, but the government is not really funding it, you know. And then a lot of the shelters that they be having, people rather stay on the street because people be getting raped in them shelters. They get robbed. You got to sleep with one eye open and one eye closed. I was in the shelter one time, and a guy, like, right next to me, they trying to rape him. So I jumped in there, you know, stopped it. You know, a lot of them shelters is no good. That's why you see a, a lot of homeless people on the street. They feel safer out here. And it's easier, you know, to make a few dollars out here and pay somebody to let you stay a night or two. That way you know you're safe. I sleep out here by myself, you know, because I'm in an area right here. And I, it's, not, it's not that much violence around here, you know. You only got one life. If something's going to happen, it's going to happen anyway. And I just pray to the Lord it don't. I just keep my head up. And every day, as long as I wake up, I got another shot. So you were telling us before the show, Corey, about your shelter is kind of different than other shelters. Yeah. It's a it's a it's smaller, deals with less people, but mm-hmm. can you speak to, to what that guy was saying? Yeah, um, you know, that's one of the I mean that that is an absolute truth that you have to deal with in the you know, in, in the whenever you're whenever wherever there's dysfunction there's danger and uh in the I know that many of the individuals who have come to our shelter have Try, uh, trying to escape the shelters in the bigger city because you, have, you they'll rob you, they'll yeah. take your bike, and you know somebody there's a there's people who are you know addicted to just the craziest drugs, and and then you know in our in our shelter you know most of my job uh, it seems is to make sure that none of that gets in, and as soon as it as soon as even the hint of it gets in, we have a really good uh, communication. We have a really we have a lot of great communication so that everyone if they all the little pieces of things that they see they'll tell me and then we're able to make sure that that person finds suitable shelter elsewhere and I think that you know that's the that's the sad and ugly truth about um, about individuals who are caught in dysfunction anyhow is that, you know all of us we struggle so much to change the smallest habits but you know you imagine having the, a dangerous addiction or something you can't. You don't want to enable people's addictions. You don't want to enable people on the slide down. Um, and I've noticed that of several of the people who have got right into housing have been people who caused major disruptions and who were asked to leave the shelter and got into housing immediately after that. Um, so I think that, you know, that's, and I talk about the you know, boundaries and the strict boundaries, is that, um, there's pathological people out there who will manipulate vulnerable people. They will use vulnerable people for, I mean, and we know this from, you know, the Franklin scandal in Nebraska, you know, mm-hmm. using children in orphanages 
And we know that in Prince Andrew, the most you know some of the most powerful people, they they you know their hobbies are to use uh, vulnerable people. Homeless people are vulnerable, and they will be used by other people as well. And it's unfortunate, but they don't have a lot of power. There's a, and that's one reason why you probably the numbers that are out there that count the homeless. They're based on a point-in-time survey that takes place one night a, a year, and you typically in a shelter. And then there's, they also go out and try and count them. But there's not a lot of people who go to those shelters unless it's absolutely necessary. And that's another reason why you just need to get these people into homes um, and and then just let them take care of themselves. They're people. You know? Yeah, and yet how many people will say in a conversation that either these people, um, they chose it, they, they're living this way because they want to, or it, or they deserved it. Mm-hmm. You know, this they're is their, a drain on the taxpayers. Yeah, and this is their punishment, so they deserve it. I mean, what kind of an attitude is that? They deserve it. I mean, it's the same thing. It's like, it, coming back again to the to the war aspect, it's like saying all of these children and, and women and just innocent civilians in other countries, well, yeah, they deserve to get killed just because, what, because they were in the wrong place at the wrong time? Because some other country decided to bomb their town? Mm -hmm. I mean, people don't want to be homeless. It's not like these people chose to be homeless. And it is a struggle. It is difficult. And it's not something to be proud of that, that, you know, that a homeless person would feel some kind of, um, you know, pride in, in what they're doing. No, it's like they... They're, they're miserable. They would. They if they if they could, they wouldn't be homeless. Obviously, not in those shelters. Yeah, absolutely not. The conditions are deplorable in a lot of them, and you have burnout individuals that working in a lot of them at the at the massive shelters. You know where there's no way to police the behavior. Yeah, Harrison, I agree with you. No, there's no one out there who actively would choose to live. You know, the in just a, an awful awful life. We all want what's best for ourselves, um, you know. Well, one thing I'd like to bring up, you know, uh, being around people that are homeless and down, um, I got to say, you meet some of the kindest, empathetic people you can imagine. They they have nothing, and they're willing to give literally the shirt off their back Mm -hmm. versus, you know, I've been around people with enormous wealth, and it's the complete opposite. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, Corey, you... Earlier, you mentioned shame. You said that shame was the big issue. Yeah. And the, the, one of the reasons I asked you to clarify that or to talk on it, talk about it, was the first thing that came to my mind is that, oh, yeah, no, no shame's a great thing. Because the way I saw it is that the people like, you know, the rich people that you're talking about, Dave, and the people that don't see these things, I think they should be actively shamed. Yeah, absolutely. Publicly shamed. Yeah, I agree. Into, they should <laughs> into not be being pub- assholes. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. They absolutely should be publicly shamed. How you go about doing that, though, is beyond me. Well, Hot. Hot. <laughs> well, the guy in Spain, that mayor, I mean, his his nonviolent act mm-hmm. of, of disobedience. I mean, we I think we need something. We need outspoken people mm-hmm. in. Well, and that's the thing is that it's. As things are, it's kind of impossible, and you know, it's—I don't see it happening. But what we need is the opinion makers. The media is totally backwards. Mm-hmm. They have values that are just completely opposite 
to actual values. Think about what our society would be like if in the news they actually presented good things as good and bad things as bad instead of their opposites. I mean, that that acts as a kind of beacon for people. They see the way they're supposed to behave, what they're supposed to conform to. Right now, we are supposed to conform to a totally psychopathic, capitalist, dog-eat-dog world. But what if, you know, we had people in the media, newspapers, news, TV shows, movies, where selfish people <laughs> were the bad guys? Yeah. Yeah. We could have like a wall of shame. Yeah. You know, get Michael Douglas back. And... A two-minute diatribe on how evil <laughs> Cheney is. But we don't see that. So I think it comes back to the bigger issue is that as a society, we just lack any kind of real values, well, any kind of conscience. It, I had a period of homelessness. I think experiencing it, I mean, there's been times when if it hadn't been for friends or family, I'd have been in trouble financially. And so, I mean... I think you have to experience it on some level to have um, maybe compassion. You can have compassionate empathy without that, but experiencing it is a whole other thing. And I just don't think many people do, and they don't want to. Mm-hmm. I think that we are. Uh, I think that there is a obviously uh, society like as I, I read from that quote earlier that expulsions um, that the inequality is leading to the expulsion of poor and middle class people from the economy and the rich are just, you know, they're falling into this black hole of their own uh, creation. And I think that uh, how we treat the people who have absolutely no value to us is really going to determine, um, is really, is is, is determining a lot of the, the future because in the communities that are coming together and are networking, in order to solve these kinds of problems, I imagine that they are um, much more resilient and much more, uh, they have stand a much better chance of of surviving this economic turmoil. And I mean, it's just going to get worse because these guys aren't going to stop taking and taking and taking and taking. And, you know, the I mean, when you, the, the, the homeless people that I've met, I mean, they look just, you know, they a lot of them have the same opinions and the same, you know, things that that I do, and they're very like like you were saying, Dave. They're uh, very kind, very gentle, give you the shirt off their back, and then also in the shelter, they're very, very intelligent, and they're very, very cognizant of what's going on in the world. And you know, and there's a lot of humor about like, well, you're going to be in here sometime too, buddy. <laughs> I think that people think about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it can happen to anybody. What? I mean, your home burns down, or like. A cops, you know, destroy your home in a mm-hmm. fall a raid that was the wrong house. I mean, you, you're homeless. You yeah. have no place to live. So, I mean, I think if people think about what it'd be like not to have a home, then maybe things will change. I mean, the old united we stand. You know. Unfortunately, I think previous statement was probably closer to the truth. Yeah. Is that people are going to have to experience it. So maybe the the best thing that could happen is that the disparity between rich and poor is should just get. Wider, wider, and even greater than than it is now, which is, I mean, as it is now, it's just a horrible situation. But let's just take it to the extreme, where you, know, you start seeing, yeah, you, no, you start seeing tons of more people becoming dirt poor, bankrupt, homeless, mm-hmm. until you know we get to the practically you know ninety percent of the population is is homeless and finally realizes what it's like, and then realizes, hey, you know. Maybe this has something to do with the way our culture is and the way our society is structured, and maybe we should 
We should do something different. Yeah, an uprising of some kind. That'd be, that'd be radical. It would be. I mean, yeah, I, just a radically new way of organizing. Just as people with com- yeah. maybe some conscience and empathy. Yeah, like that 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 show snapped, where it shows women who kind of snap. I think that society is going to get to a snapping point. You can only treat people like crap long enough, mm-hmm. and then it's going to come back on you. And it, I mean, seventy to ninety thousand homeless people in New York. What if they got mad? I mean, mm-hmm. what if they decided that they didn't like you know the mayor anymore? I mean, it, I just. I don't think because our leaders don't have a conscience and they, they're lacking that emotional component, I don't think they realize the end game. I mean, it always ends that way. I just don't think they understand that. Nope. This time we might be a lot dumber, though. <laughs> <laughs> so it probably could go on <laughs> yeah, until they just do literally fall into a black hole. Yeah. The Earth's probably going to have to be swallowed up. <laughs> Yeah. So, well, as usual, that we kind of con- conclude with the most bleak outcome possible. Well, it's realistic, I think. I mean, people start. Well, you know, one thing I that I think more people can start doing, or I think they should start doing, is changing their lifestyle as it is now. I mean, you don't have to be homeless. I'm just talking about people in general, community living. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, the, the way that everyday life is structured, you've got your apartment, maybe a roommate, or you live with your family, usually a small family. But you don't see a whole bunch of people kind of getting together to share costs, share rent. I mean, if you have a small family renting a house, a big house, you could fit two or three families that you get along with in there and just think about how much your costs are reduced. Oh, yeah. Shared cooking, shared chores, shared child mm-hmm. care. I mean, it would free up your time, less stress. Mm-hmm. That is another That is another good answer for this, this problem because it is the way that we've structured this whole idea of the mortgage and the, your kids go leave the house when they're, you know, 18, unless you, you beat them so bad they run away. Then you, you know, and then after, you know, everyone's, Spread out all you know the family lives in every fifty state and and everyone has to pay their own you know their own rent well, if we just got back to that nuclear you know family where you have you know you live with the grandparents and you take care of each other, the grandparents look after the kids you know the sisters and brothers they all take care they help with the chores and they you know once you you we're being forced to a point that we should probably be naturally gravitating towards that, but we aren't, you know, we aren't really necessarily paying attention to those signs. And so I think that those people out there who are coming together and, you know, and creating those like that, that is probably the, the best way to get involved and to end homelessness, especially your own. Yeah. Roommate situations, community living situations. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of people, too, want to change the system within the system. And it's obviously that's not working. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you say, it's we have to go outside the system and form our own community with mm-hmm. our own moral values. Amen. Mm-hmm. The, but even then, there's a problem. Because if you think about putting a whole bunch of people together, I mean, if you've got a roommate... Usually it's like, okay, one person is enough. 
You know, I can't live with other people. I mean, I, I was talking to to a relative the other day, and sh- you know, she just said, "Well, you know, it's just so hard living with other people." And on the one hand, that's kind of true because everyone's got a bad roommate. But on the other hand, those problems usually come about because what I what I would term you know, poor socialization, poor socialization or just being a product of this world the way it is, mm-hmm. where there is just no consideration for the people around you. And so you act like a self-entitled teenager all the time and are just not... Uh, people just don't want to have you around or to live with you just because, you know, <laughs> you're acting like the people act that are responsible for these problems mm-hmm. in the first place. Mm-hmm. So part of community living is about getting over yourself to the extent that you can interact with others and start putting others before yourself. Ends up working out. Like if you try it out and acknowledge, first of all, going in there, that there's going to be interpersonal problems, you can get through them. And it ends up being just so much better in all ways, I think, personally, than than, you know, living alone in an apartment. And, I agree. Yeah. And, and living, you know, paycheck to paycheck. What if you lose your job? You know, and... Like, the connection that you have, let's say, with your family. Like, we had that, that clip from the, the young woman who moved from the East Coast to Seattle... One of the big problems, I think, with homelessness is that these people don't have anyone they can turn to. Mm-hmm. If they did, they wouldn't be homeless. Because when you have, when you're part of a community, even like if you form your own like little community, even just sharing housing with with several people, they become like a, an extended family, a large family, and you've got someone for support. So if any one person, you know, loses your job, you can be covered by the people around you. Yeah, that's it, having a community of support. You know, there's yeah. something in that saying, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have that kind of support, it's just not all on the individual. Mm-hmm. But as it is as it is now, everything is on the ind- individual. So, I mean, yeah. so you lose your job, and then just out of nowhere, you know, your car breaks down, can't pay the rent. There you are, you're homeless, and you've got no one to turn to. Then that's when you have to go through, you know, the choice. Well, am I gonna, am I going to live on the street? Am I going to go to one of these shelters? What are these shelters like? Can I find a good one? And then how am I going to get a job? And then if you don't get a job, I mean, you then you're, okay, so you're homeless for a week and then a couple of weeks and then a month. And then it gets to the point possibly where, you know, you've been homeless for three years and then you tr- then try getting a job. I mean, the longer, the longer that you're homeless, the more you feel bad about yourself and the 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 more stigma there is on you from other people, the harder it will be to get a job, and it just compounds, and the problem gets worse and worse as mm-hmm. it goes on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's how it is. It wears your self-esteem down, mm-hmm. right? And you go to get help within the system, and it's terrible. There is no support. It just degrades you even more. So, yeah, community living, building, putting... Sharing burdens. Sharing burdens, giving homes to the homeless. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There are plenty to go around. Giving food to the homeless. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, that saying, abandon all hope, ye who enter here. That's That comes to my mind quite a bit on daily, on the uh, the daily grind. Um, 
And you know, and I, and I see it, and I see I see the solutions. It's you know, you can see and, and think in terms of these uh, solutions, and and you know that um, it's nice to see these uh, these the homeless individuals seeing this this kind of solution as well, because that's like I, when I said earlier, the homelessness is an experience that people go through. You know, that is very much you know in our society, you're on the rock bottom. You have hit rock bottom for the most part, and for people who they're rebounding from that, you know, they there's that understanding, you know, it's that archetypal understanding that you know I need other people, you know, I need to treat other people with respect, I need to, I care about other people, they help, you know, I can't survive on my own. Being, you know, selfish or however, you know, this culture has programmed us is not going to work and you know and I've seen I've been staring death in the face for the past couple of years and you know and you you know and several times you see you see him take off but like Dave said it 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 eats away at you mm-hmm. yeah it's kind of like that uh that scene in uh Pink Floyd's The Wall when the people are just going through the meat grinder that's what <laughs> yeah. it feels like mhm all right well i think we're going to have a short show today and end it there unless anyone had any comments they wanted to finish off with? No? All right. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, if you have a chance in the next week or so, I highly recommend you publicly shame someone that doesn't like homeless people or is is ignoring war crimes or thinks that, you know, big-wig capitalists are great or publicly shame a politician. Just find someone that you can publicly shame that deserves it. <laughs> and you know, go ahead and do it, and the world will be a slightly better place. Absolutely, shame is good. <laughs> so that's the next movie. <laughs> so thank you to Dave, Meg, and Corey for coming. Thank you. Thank you, Corey, for the the work that you've been doing. Um, it's great to hear that there are people in the world actually doing something good and for their fellow human beings. So thank you again, and keep up the good work. Thanks. And. Good night, good day, good afternoon. We'll see you all next week. Bye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Take care.